Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, or look here. Do not go out or follow them, for as the lightning flashes and the lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let one of him who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in the night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? He said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Let me pray for us. Father God, we love you so much. We're so grateful that we can come together as your people and we can worship you in song. And God, we're grateful that we can come and open up your word and hear from it and learn from it. God, I pray that you would um, make this passage clear to us. Lord, I pray that we would have a better understanding of who you are. Lord, a better understanding of, of what you're calling us to and, and what you're calling us out from. God, I pray that you would um, open our minds and, and soften our hearts to receive the truth that you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So my wife and I have been married for a little over 10 years, and uh, so a little over 10 years ago, we went on our honeymoon, and we decided for our honeymoon to go to Florida. Uh, and we stayed at a resort uh, in Florida near where the, uh, the parks are, Disney and, and the other parks. Uh, we spent a little time at, at Disney and had a ton of fun, a really great trip. But um, one big highlight for us was this resort. And in fact, the, uh, like the like pinnacle of our whole trip uh, came on just our first or second night. Uh, we got into the resort, we find our room, we kind of get settled, and we go down to the restaurant or one of the restaurants in the resort this restaurant had a balcony that overlooked the pools. It's just this incredible like view. It's warm. We 
came from Oregon in November, and here we are, like, uh, you know, soaking in the sun on this balcony restaurant. It's just incredible. And uh, it's off-season for Florida and for this resort, so there weren't a lot of people in the restaurant, uh, just a number of, of other folks, that, uh, not many at all. We got sat down, and just a couple tables away was uh, an older gentleman uh, sitting by himself uh, at, at this table. And we didn't think much of it. We're just here, happy to be here, enjoying each other's company. And uh, over the course of time, as we're ordering our appetizer and, and drinks and things like that, we get to talking to this uh, gentleman who's a couple tables away. And I'm fine with this. I don't, I don't mind talking to strangers. I, I love getting to know people that, that I don't know. And so we, we start talking a little bit, and he's asking us you know, where we're coming from and what we're doing. We tell him we're on our honeymoon. <clears throat> just a, you know, a lot of fun. Uh, he, he asked us, you know, what we thought about the resort. We thought, it's, it's an awesome resort. Yeah, we're enjoying things so far. We just got in, and uh, we're, we're having this conversation. Well, as, as time goes on and this conversation continues, we come to know, uh, he tells us that he's the owner of this resort. And, and in fact, he hasn't been in this resort for quite a while. I think he said several months or, or several years since he's been at this resort. Last, because he owns so many resorts. Uh, and restaurants and other businesses uh, that occasionally he likes to get by and see what, uh, you know, see what is going on at these resorts, which then, I don't know if you've ever been in this situation, but then you start thinking like, oh my gosh, what did we say? Did we say anything embarrassing? <laughs> you know, like, uh, knowing that this is the owner, but, uh, you know, have this great conversation, really neat to, to know the owner and have this conversation with him. Anyway, he gets up and leaves. We finish our dinner, and when we go to leave, we find that our, our dinner and, and drinks and appetizers, everything's been paid for uh, by this gentleman. Just really cool experience. And, you know, we had, we had been at the resort, but once we have this conversation and get to know the owner, now we feel like we belong at the resort, right? We really feel like this is our place. And, I mean, for the rest of the trip, more probably than uh, we deserved, uh, for the rest of the trip, it's like, it's okay, we know the owner. Uh, it's, we're close. We, we just had dinner with him last night. It's cool. Uh, like, no, sir, really, the restaurant's closing. You need to leave. It's like, no, it's fine. Uh, you, just, you just ask him. But we don't know his name or anything, but uh, we're close. Uh, so that, once we knew the owner, once we knew the guy in charge, the guy whose place this was, we felt like we belonged there. And, and now, 10 years later still, if we go back to uh, Florida... I know where we're going. It's, it's where we belong, right? We belong in this place. This passage has, has a lot in it. And as we go to the passage and, and we're looking at Luke 17, Jesus is telling us a number of different things. And at first glance, this can feel a little bit disjointed. There's something about vultures in there. Uh, I don't even know. Like, but the overarching theme of what Jesus is talking about is his kingdom, He's telling us something about his kingdom. He's teaching us about his kingdom and he's warning us about his kingdom. And there's a lot in this passage and we could probably spend multiple weeks pulling everything out that is in here. It is rich and dense with great, great stuff. But I, I really wanna point out three most important things as I approach this passage, three things that God has pointed out to me this week. Number one, that the kingdom is where the king is. The kingdom is where the king is. Number two, that the kingdom is to be prepared for. And lastly, that the kingdom is something we should set our sights on. Okay, the kingdom is where the king is. 
The kingdom is to be prepared for, and the kingdom is to set our sights on. So first, the kingdom is where the king is. We see this in verse 21. The Pharisees are asking Jesus about the kingdom and when it's going to come, and he says, uh, it's not coming in the way that you think. It's, It's not in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is there, for behold, and this is the very end of verse 21, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. The kingdom of God is in the midst of you. What is Jesus talking about? What does he mean? Well, king, the, the king of this kingdom, a kingdom needs to have a king. The king of this kingdom is Jesus. Jesus is the king. And where the king is, there is the kingdom. Right, where Jesus is, you have a glimpse of the kingdom. Jesus comes as a representative of the kingdom. And where he is, you can see there the kingdom is. He is in the midst of them. And they missed it. They totally missed it. And in fact, as we become Christians and follow Jesus, we become ambassadors of this kingdom, representatives of this kingdom. Where the church is gathered, the kingdom is in our midst. When we gather together and we worship God in song, like we were just doing, the kingdom of God is in our midst. Jesus is here with us. Jesus is here as as we are his followers. And where the king is, there is the kingdom. So we get to see little glimpses of the kingdom when we gather and we worship. We get to see glimpses of the kingdom when, as members of Jesus' church, we go out into the city and we love on the city. We care for the city. We show compassion on individuals. There's the kingdom of God. When we're doing these things and living in this way under Jesus' rule, he is our king and there the kingdom is in the midst. That's what Jesus is talking about. In fact, this is one of my favorite points of Christianity. One of my favorite points of getting to be a follower and disciple of Jesus is that at the moment we become Christians, at the moment we decide to follow Jesus, to place our faith in the Lord Jesus who died on the cross in my place for my sins as my substitute, the moment I place my faith in him, I gain something. I gain citizenship in heaven, the kingdom that is coming. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we become citizens of heaven. We are no longer under the rule and authority of this place, this world, which is falling to pieces, if you haven't noticed. We have a new king, a new residence, a new kingdom, a new citizenship, and that is of heaven with Jesus as our king. That happens at the moment we believe. Where citizens of heaven are, we see a glimpse of heaven. And there is a phrase that maybe you've heard before, maybe you haven't. Uh, it's, it's confusing and it's beautiful all at once. It's the already and not yet. You confused? Already and not yet. The kingdom is already here. Jesus says, it's in the midst of you. It's here. I'm here. The kingdom is already here. And it's not yet 
here. What do I mean? The fullness of the kingdom of Jesus is coming. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. This will be thrown away and there will be a new earth, perfected, no longer stained by sin. That's coming. It's not yet here. Jesus talks about both aspects of his kingdom. He says, it's, it's here already. You're looking for something that's not coming. They were looking for a military leader, a political leader. They were under Roman rule. They did not want to be under Roman rule. They felt that the nation of Israel should be independent, governing themselves, and they were waiting for a king like David to come from of old. Or Solomon, they were looking for a political leader to free them from this bondage or a religious leader or something to bring an earthly kingdom. And Jesus was not doing that. He says the kingdom's already here. How frustrating for people looking for freedom, looking for an earthly kingdom. He's saying you're not gonna see that. It's not gonna be in signs like that. That's not what's happening here. Jesus is doing something more. And in fact, how tragic would it be if their wish were granted? How tragic would it be if Jesus said, oh, you want a king here on earth to free you from the Roman rule that you're experiencing right now? Okay, let's go with your plan instead of mine. I've had a plan in the works for a few thousand years since Genesis 1, whatever. Let's go with your plan. What if Jesus had done that? Well, we have historical context for that. There was relative peace in Israel in historical times. They had kings, good kings like David and Solomon who, who you know, ruled and they had peace and war ceased on their borders. How long did that last? A few decades? Dozens of years? Was there even ever a period of 100 years where Israel had peace and prosperity under human kings and leadership? No, I don't think so. I, like, what they were looking for was super short-sighted. And what Jesus was bringing was something so much bigger, so much longer lasting. He said, let's not worry about the earthly kingdom. Let's look at the eternal kingdom. I'm coming not, not like David to free you from your oppressors here and now, we're looking at the long term. We're looking at all of eternity. I'm bringing a kingdom that will last forever. Our life on earth is like this tiny like, point in the vastness of eternity that God is working on and planning for and, and ushering us into. Jesus says, stop looking at this point, this tiny little speck in history, and wanting things to go the way that you want them to go, let me deal with eternity. That kingdom, it's already here, and it's coming. The kingdom is where the king is. Secondly, the kingdom is to be prepared for. Jesus in this passage, in this, uh, these statements that he makes, he references back to some Old Testament stories, some, some things of, 
of uh, humans, uh, mankind's past, he reaches back to the story of Noah, right? Noah and the, and the ark, you may be familiar with that, maybe not, that's okay, we're gonna go there in a second. And the story of Lot, another Old Testament story, another uh, man in Israel's past. He's saying, remember these two stories. And he's reaching back to the Old Testament and he's referencing something bigger. And we see this, namely in verse 26. He says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. The Son of Man, by the way, that's a title Jesus uses for himself. Um, he says, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. He's saying, remember Noah? Look back at that story. Just as it was then, so it will be again. The, the story of Noah comes from Genesis chapter, uh, I think, six and beyond. Um, we're gonna be in, in chapter seven. Just briefly, I wanna pull a couple things out, but um, I, I think the, the lesson here, the, the thing that Jesus is trying to bring to our attention is that the kingdom of God is to be prepared for. I don't know about you, but I think in a lot of cases, I maybe put more time and effort into preparing for a vacation than I do preparing for eternity. I don't know if that's true in your life. That sometimes is true in my life. We prepare for things like a vacation. Just uh, recently, a few weeks ago, uh, we took a vacation, my wife and I, and uh, we took all the kids. We road tripped it down to Arizona, uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. And uh, I, I know it's like, mm-hmm, yeah, road trip. Four daughters in the car, road trip to Arizona. Actually went really well. It did. Uh, I see doubting eyes, like, no, that did not go well. Uh, he's lying. It went really well. The kids did great. Uh, but to, to make that trip, we made some preparations, right? We, we got the oil changed on the van. We you know, made sure that the tires are inflated. Things are good mechanically. Okay, this is going to get us there. We need, uh, we need to pack clothes and, and toiletries. We, we need things so that when we get to this place, we're going to need sunscreen, uh, we're, we're pretty pasty white. Uh, we're gonna need like buckets of sunscreen. Uh, make sure that's in the car, right? We, we make these preparations. We prepare for this journey. Uh, lots of snacks, like fruit snacks and, and string cheese, like whatever it takes to keep the kids quiet. Lots of snacks in the car. We're ready to go. And we were going to Arizona. Now it's warm in Arizona, but it's not hell, okay? Right? Uh, little, little different preparations should be made. And then we, we came back through California. That was a little more like hell, but um, no, not, not too bad. Right? But we should be preparing for eternity with much more diligence than we're preparing for a vacation. And this is the word from Jesus to us is that the kingdom needs to be prepared for. You see, what happens in Noah's life is God calls him to build a boat. I don't know if you're familiar with the story or not, but Noah is in the desert God tells him, build a boat. What do you need a boat for in a desert? Doesn't make any sense. God says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring some water, a lot of it, and you're gonna need a boat. This is gonna be your means of salvation. And so Noah starts building a boat. So far as we know, the only ones working on this boat, and we're talking about like, like a, a container ship, 
on the ocean, right? Like this is a big, big boat because they're gonna pack it full of animals and, and maintain like seeds of life to restart everything. And, and the only ones working on this is Noah and his sons, so far as we know. This is not a task to be accomplished quickly. This is not to be accomplished quickly. He uh, had no crane that I know of, uh, no modern power tools. I, don't, I won't do anything without a power tool. Like changing a light switch or something is that little, I'm not gonna use a screwdriver, I'm gonna get a drill and I'm gonna do this quickly. I did everything with a power tool. Uh, that, that is not the case. He does not have power tools. He's gonna do this by hand. It's gonna take him a while. We don't know exactly how long it took Noah to build this boat, him and his sons. Uh, it's, it's in excess of 100 years. They lived much longer back then. We're, we're reaching way back in, in human history here. In excess of 100 years, maybe 120 years, he's working on building this giant boat. And do you know what he's doing while he's building this giant boat? He's preparing and he's preaching. He's preaching. Um, uh, I, I think it's Second Peter it talks about the story a little bit and tells us that, that Noah is like preaching righteousness. He's preaching and calling people to repent. See, in the days of Noah, we see uh, a glimpse of what it was like in chapter six, verse five. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's what's going on in the earth in the days of Noah. The intentions of man's heart was only evil continually and we read on and see that God's heart was grieved, grieved by the amount of wickedness and sin that was present on the earth. But Noah finds favor in the eyes of the Lord and God tells him I want you to build this boat and I want you to preach. I want you to call people to repent. And for more than a hundred years, Noah preaches a message of repentance. Now we're about to plant a church in a couple of weeks, right? Out in Silverton. And we're all very excited. Imagine if God calls us, I want you to plant a church in Silverton, okay? Great, cool, we're in. And you're gonna preach for a hundred years. Woo, fantastic, it sounds like a great success. And no one will listen. Maybe, maybe we're not being called to Silverton, right? Like, what a call. You're gonna go and preach and no one will listen. For a hundred years, you will call people to repentance, you will baptize no one. That's a tough call. That's what God calls Noah to do, and he's preaching, he's preparing, he's getting ready, he's building the boat, and then I, I found this interesting, verse 11, chapter seven, it says, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, the windows of the heaven were opened. Did you hear that? 600th year, Second month, 17th day. You know what day that is? I don't know. Nothing special. It's, it, but on that day, the water came. Right? It was just a normal day. I don't know, maybe a Wednesday. I don't even, like, it was just a normal day. The day before, they were marrying and being given in marriage. They're having 
you know, uh, they're trading and doing business and, and planting things. They're planning for, uh, for tomorrow being like any other day. And then in the 600th year, on the second month, 17th day, it was not the same. It was not an ordinary day because the waters came. It was sudden. That's what Jesus is telling us. Like in the days of Noah, there will be time to prepare and then suddenly, time will be up. Anyone who uh, knows me knows that I am not on time for anything. Never been on time. My mom says I was born two weeks late. I've been late ever since. I don't even think it's my fault. I was born late, like I'm just running behind continually through my, high, my, my whole life. I'm never on time for anything, and I'm okay with it. I've accepted this with myself. It irritates many people around me, like my wife, a great deal. But I'm just not like on time for things. Uh, I'm, I'm always late. But I find a thrill in this, okay? Hear me out. I find a thrill in this. Like, I'm going down to the store. We need to get some milk or something. And it's like, you know the store's closing. You're booking it down there. You get to the store, and you see the guy in, you through the glass doors, you see the guy with his key, and he's walking, like in slow motion, walking to the door to lock it. And I come running in and go sliding in that door at the last second. It's like, ha, you did not lock that door. I'm in, now you have to wait for me. And this guy's like, oh my gosh, I just wanna go home. Uh, Now I gotta wait for this guy. Like, I love getting to the store in the nick of time. I just love sliding in. Woo, I made it. I find a great thrill in this. Uh, So my, my, uh, somebody in first service pointed out that every story I have is from a vacation. I don't actually take that many vacations, but apparently it's on my mind. It's sunny out, I wanna go on another vacation. Um, so, so here's another vacation story. Several years ago, my wife and I decided to go to Hawaii. We left the kids at home this time, and we're gonna go to Hawaii. My wife lived a couple years in Hawaii before we met, uh, and so we had some friends to stay with. She wanted me, you know, show me her old stomping grounds and um, you know, kind of show me around. It's like this whole chapter of my wife's life that I knew nothing about, and so I'm really excited to see it, and it's you know, a tropical paradise, so like, not a terrible place uh, to go. Um, and so we're, we're like, you know, get the kids with the sitter. We're getting things all prepared, right? We've we learned from up above. We're, we're prepared. We're ready to go. Um, and uh, we, we get in, in the car. And uh, like, we, we got plenty of time. You're supposed to be at the airport two hours ahead of time. It's like, that's a suggestion. Um, or, it, you know, like, really? Come on. Uh, so anyway, but we've got plenty of time. Like, we are, we are ahead of schedule, we're doing fine. I tell my wife, I say, hey, we gotta run a couple errands real quick. She's like, no, we don't, we don't have time. I said, we're fine, we're perfectly fine. Uh, but we, we gotta run to the bank, I got a couple of checks to deposit, we wanna have money in the account so we can go do this vacation thing. Oh, okay, all right. So we, we go to the bank and then I had like 10 other quick little things to do. Uh, it's totally fine. With each step of this process, my wife is becoming more and more anxious that we are not going to make it in time. I'm like, honey, listen, I've been doing this a long time, all right? We can slip right in, we'll be totally fine. Two hours, that's like, that's brainwashing nonsense. We don't need to listen to that, okay? We're, we're, we're gonna be great. So we, we hit the freeway, we're getting there, and I'm like, oh, it's gonna be close. Uh, it's, okay, we're, it's gonna be close. So we, we get to the airport, and uh, you know, a little bit of like traffic and people all over, okay, honey, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna drop you. Uh, at the airport, you can start checking our bags and stuff. I'll go park the car, because I'm not gonna pay for the parking that's close. Like, I'm going like way, way out there. I'm getting the cheap parking. 
So then I, I drive out there. Of course, there is no cheap parking. It's all full. So I'm like wandering around forever. Finally find a spot, park. Then you got to wait for the bus thing to come by, right? So I'm waiting for the bus, and I was like, okay, uh, <laughs> this one's going to be for the record books. This is going to be really close. Uh, anyway, the bus picks me up. I get back. My wife is still in line to drop off the baggage. Like, oh, this is, this is not good. So we are like scrambling now. We're, we're rushing as fast as we can get the, the bags dropped off, get through security. We are like running. Uh, and, and then like the door is closing ahead of us and the guy closes the door and like God closed the door on Noah's Ark, uh, this guy closed the door to the plane and we're not getting on this plane. And I, I'm not saying this guy had a God complex, but like the way he closed that door with this self-satisfied smile, I'm just, whatever, uh, it's fine. We missed our plane. We missed the plane to Hawaii. This was not good for our marriage. I will just tell you this. Uh, and, and my wife was completely right, and I was completely wrong, and uh, it, was, it was a rough start. We did, we caught a plane the next day. We hung out in Portland for the night. It was fine. But, uh, the, what is the point of the story? Uh, like, don't wait Prepare now, right? We don't wanna be like just trying to slip in the door at the last moment. I actually found this really interesting. Uh, I, I, I just mentioned it, but as, as Noah is on the ark, the waters are coming. Uh, he's been preparing, he's been preaching for 100 years. The waters are rising, and, and it says specifically in verse 16, at the very end of verse 16, uh, and those that entered, male and female, all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. I never caught this before. I just always assumed Noah closed the door. But the Lord, it says the Lord shut him in. And it was pointed out to me as I was studying for this that like, maybe after 100 years of laboring over this people and preaching a call of repentance, Noah could not bring himself to close the door and the waters are rising, and maybe the boat's starting to lift, and it's being rocked by the waves as the flood is coming. Noah, get inside, close the door. You're gonna bring the whole thing down. And he just can't do it. He just can't do it. But the Lord closes the door. It was God's grace. It was God's grace and his mercy that commissioned the building of the ship. It was God's grace that commanded Noah to build this boat, this means of salvation. It was God's grace that told him to preach for 100 years. And it was God's judgment which closed the door. As in the days of Noah, there will be a time for preparing and there will be a time to close the door. And there will no longer be a time to repent, the time will close, the door will close. Prepare now, don't wait. That day will come suddenly. Jesus tells us it'll be like in those days when he will close the door and his judgment will have its day. It's his grace that provides a means of salvation it's his judgment that closes the door. And the only thing I bring to the equation is my sin. I just bring my, my sin and my brokenness and my wretchedness and I need God's grace 
to give me a place on the boat. Of course, it, we're not trying to get on a boat. We're not building a boat in Silverton. It's not our escape plan or anything, right? That the means of salvation for us today is Jesus, right? Jesus, uh, God in the flesh comes to the earth, spends his time among men and women, and then he goes to the cross. He dies He's killed, being perfectly sinless. He's killed, not for his sin, but for my sin, for your sin. He's killed on the cross. He dies and he's buried and he raises again. And by placing our faith in Jesus, we experience salvation. That's what God calls us to. We bring our sin and he brings our grace and guess which is better? Guess which is greater? My sin cannot overpower the grace of God. His grace is bigger than all of that and he invites us to share in the salvation. Prepare for the kingdom of God. Prepare for the kingdom while we can. Prepare. Third, the kingdom of God is to be the object of our sight. The kingdom of God is to be the object of our sight. Verse 32, let me get back to, uh, to Luke here. Verse 32, chapter 17, very simple. Remember Lot's wife. Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. What's he talking about? Well, he's referencing Genesis chapter 19. He's referencing a character by the name of Lot and his wife, So I'm gonna flip back to Genesis 19 here. I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but I wanna recap for you a little bit of what's happening. Um, Lot is the nephew of Abraham. Abraham is like the, the father of the faith, the father of the nation of Israel. Lot is his nephew. He's been able to share in the grace that Abraham has received, he's traveled with Abraham for many years, and it gets to a point where they have so many possessions, so many people in their clan, so many animals that they can't be supported all in one spot. All the animals eating and grazing and stuff, there's too much, and so Abraham and Lot go their separate ways, and Abraham gives Lot his choice. Which direction are you gonna go? I'll go the other way. And Lot says, I wanna go that way. There's some cities down there I've heard a lot about. I wanna go down there. And so he chooses to go in the direction of Sodom. And he camps outside Sodom for a while and then he ends up moving into the city. Sodom is is this horrendous place where sin abounds. It actually sounds a lot like the days of Noah when when, like the only intention of, of men is evil continually. Like there's just wretchedness and sin and brokenness happening. And it gets to a point where the outcry against Sodom is so great that God says, I cannot let this go on. I cannot let this stand. I must destroy the city of Sodom. And he tells this to Abraham. And of course, Abraham knows that his nephew is living in that city. And Abraham pleads with God. He bargains with God. And in fact, this is just a hilarious passage where Abraham says to God, what if there were 50 good people, 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, would you destroy the whole city along with those 50 righteous people? God, you wouldn't do that. And God says, if there's 50 righteous people in the city, I'll spare it. Abraham's like, okay, okay. 
hear me out, what about 45? Right, and then 40, 30, 20, and 10. In like the most audacious passage in all of the Bible, Abraham is bargaining with God and he gets it all the way down to 10. If there are 10 righteous people in Sodom, I will spare it, God says. He does not find 10 righteous people. Judgment is coming, but for Abraham's sake, God sends two angels into the city to save Lot and his family. And I don't have time to go into the whole story, but suffice it to say, that the, the men of Sodom make their intentions known and the fact that they are only evil continually. Uh, and, and God has to intervene to save Lot, his daughters, his wife, and these angels. And, and God intervenes in this miraculous way and the angels say to Lot and his family, it's time to go. Right now, we're leaving the city. God is going to destroy it. And Lot's taking his time, and his wife is taking her time. They don't want to leave behind their possessions and their relationships and the life that they've built in this city, however wretched it is. And they say, no, we've got to go. And they linger a little longer. And so it says uh, that they... um, Uh, So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set them outside the city. Think about this for a second. I'd never noticed this before. Who else in the history of mankind can say that an angel physically came to their home, grabbed them by the hand, and dragged them out of danger toward salvation? That is an amazing conversion story, right? Like, an angel grabbed me by the hand, drug me to safety. That's what these angels do. And they set them outside the city and they say, okay, it's time for you to go. Head to the wilderness, head to the hills, and don't look back. And Lot says, I, I don't want to go to the wilderness. He, like, he's just not getting it. I don't want to go to the wilderness. I want to go to a city. And they have this little back and forth. And finally they say, you can go to the city of Zor. It's a small city. In fact, Zor means little, right? It's a city named Little. Go to the little city. Uh, once you get there, you'll be safe. Go now, do not look back. And they set out, Lot and his wife and his two daughters, and they are heading for salvation. They are heading for safety. And they get, in fact, all the way, it says, verse 23, the sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor. They made it all the way. They traveled through the night. They get to Zor. They are outside of the city where their salvation waits. And what happens? Verse 26, but Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. She had been with Lot. She had heard the instructions. She had fled the city. They have traveled all the way to the gates of Zor and she exposes her heart. Her heart is not in it. Her heart's still with Sodom. She longed for her past. She longed for that sin. She longed for the comforts and the familiarity that were there. She longed for those relationships. She longed for everything that was behind instead of keeping her eyes fixed on what God had called them to ahead. And in that act of disobedience, the same fate that came over the whole city of Sodom and Gomorrah uh, came to her. 
and she was destroyed. She became a pillar of salt in that instant. She was longing for her past. And all that past had was, was sin and brokenness and hurt. It's what was familiar to her. Um, my wife and I are uh, in the works of, of uh, becoming foster parents. We, we wanna uh, foster and, and maybe adopt eventually. Uh, we're very excited about this and we've been you know, preparing for this for a while. We, uh, I read a book uh, a couple of years back. Um, I think it was called Adopted for Life. Really, really great book. Uh, I hope I'm not butchering the, the title. Um, but in it, the author talks about when he adopts his uh, son, uh, son or sons, it, it, maybe there were two of them, I'm forgetting the details, but from an orphanage in this like horrible place, this orphanage, he, he describes, they walk down the halls and it's silent. There's, there's no crying because the kids, have been, um, the kids have been crying so long and nobody's there to respond and so they've given up. And, and he and his wife, they, they go through all of the effort and all of the work to adopt their son from this place, to rescue him from that fate. He's just a little guy, and, and he, uh, they adopt him, and, and they're finally, after all of uh, the process that's involved there, they're finally carrying him from the orphanage, and as they are leaving the orphanage, he is, he is now crying and screaming and reaching back toward the orphanage. What a picture of the way we are as Christians. That Jesus would be adopting us, saving us, rescuing us from the fate that sin would have for us. And as he carries us into the glorious unknown, we cry and long and reach for the horrible known. We, we reach for and long for our sin and our past because it's familiar, because we think it's fine, because we think it's where we'll find joy, although it has brought none of that. What a picture. What a picture. Remember Lot's wife. Jesus points this out. He wants us to know. Wife's, uh, I'm sorry, Lot's wife, I, I would like to point out, she was um, related to Lot, who the Bible describes as a righteous man in, in 2 Peter. I, would, I, I have a hard time with that. I'm not gonna say I argue with it because it's in the Bible, but I have a hard time with Lot being called a righteous man. Uh, pretty rough dude. Um, she is the, the niece-in-law uh, of Abraham, father of the faith, an, another righteous man. But she is not saved. Some of you here this morning are the daughters of or the sons of righteous people. Some of you here are brothers or sisters of righteous people who know and love Jesus. Some of you are the spouse of or the child of righteous people. Our earthly relationships do not grant us salvation. Remember Lot's wife. What she needed was a real and personal relationship with the God of Abraham. She needed a real and personal relationship with the one who was granting to her, offering to her salvation. And she didn't. It was, it was a, a family relationship and she was not participating in it personally. 
If you are in that position, I just, like, I beg of you to assess your relationship with Jesus just because you're in a Christian family, just because you are related to someone who is righteous in pursuing Jesus doesn't mean necessarily that you are. Jesus says, remember Lot's wife and keep your eyes to salvation. Um, I don't think it's helpful to just say, don't look behind you. I don't think it's helpful to say, stop thinking about your prior sin. Because if that's all I'm supposed to do, all I'm gonna do is think of the thing I'm not supposed to think about, right? Like to, to combat this desire to look behind us, we need to instead refocus our hearts on that which we should be looking at. Instead of focusing on what not to look at, we should be focusing on what we should be looking at. We should be looking toward salvation. That's Jesus' plea, his warning, as he says, remember Lot's wife, to look at salvation. Keep your eyes on Zor. Keep your eyes on what I have called you into. And don't keep looking back at your sin. Don't keep longing for the past. I've been convicted this week as I look at this passage and I'm reading and studying and, and going through it. And I, I've been convicted because if I'm honest, I... I'm a lot less like Noah than I wish I were. I, I don't think I would preach for 100 years if no one was listening. In fact, I have a great fear that in the 40 minutes I'm talking, you all will get up and leave, and then I'm out, okay? So please stay, hear me out. Like, I'm not like Noah, and I'm a lot less like Lot even than I would care to confess publicly. Lot, as messed up as he is, I, I, I have a hard time even relating with him. The, the character in this story that Jesus references that I feel like the most uh, similarities to is Lot's wife. I don't know if I'm alone on this. A couple people from first service said they felt similar. Uh, maybe you're like this. I, like, I can't preach a message and say, don't ever look behind you. Like, I don't always look behind me. Right, I, I can't say that because my heart is a lot more like Lot's heart than, or Lot's wife's heart than I care to admit. I continue to long for the sin of my past. Maybe because it's comfortable or familiar or I think maybe this time I'll find joy there. I don't know. But that's, that's where my heart is often, sometimes. Like, I, I really struggle with that. Like, looking for and longing for that which is in the past. And I'll tell you what, I praise God, I worship him, that he doesn't exercise his judgment on me in the same way that he did on Lot's wife. Because if I was turned into a pillar of salt at the moment I looked back, that would have happened many times over. But God gives me time to repent. Like, I, I was baptized on the Oregon coast, in the waves, in the water, it was really fun and cold. Um, I, like, I'm baptized in the water, up out of the water, pillar of salt. That's me. And many, many, many more times since then. 
Like my heart longs for that which is behind. And, and so then like, what do I do, Jesus? What do I do with that? The call to us is to repent. That's what Noah preached. That's what Jesus is warning us for. It's not that we're not going to fail. It's not that we're, we're not gonna be messed up and, and need his grace over and over. It's that we would repent. Martin Luther says in his 95 Theses, the, the life of a Christian is one of repentance. Repentance is not something we do just once, but we go to it over and over. Our heart constantly needs to repent of the longing for sin or the action of sin. We constantly need to repent and turn back to God, turn back to Jesus, say, Jesus, forgive me. I've been like Lot's wife, and I've not kept my eyes on your kingdom, but I've been looking behind me. God, forgive me. We repent, and then we seek the king, because the king is where the kingdom is. We seek to know Jesus better. That's why we teach out of the Bible. That's why we read the Bible. That's why we pray. That's why we worship. We do these things to seek the king, know the king, because he's better than anything else. We've got to fix our eyes on the king. He is where the kingdom is. We need to prepare for eternity, not wait, not delay, but prepare for eternity. We need to keep looking for and longing for salvation. We need to fix our eyes on the kingdom. And then you know what we do? We repent again. This is a cycle that we would be continually repenting and turning back and fixing our eyes on the kingdom. And when you notice your heart has drifted, repent and return. That's the, the call to us as Christians. And I just would like to end with, with this thought like, I was having a conversation with somebody just this last week on, on Monday, and, and he was saying, you know, God seems fine and everything, but like, if, if there's really a God, why is there so much evil in the world, right? Classic question, and I don't have a great answer for that. I, I really don't. I've, I've given up trying to answer, but like, here's a thought. If there will come a day when the door is closed. There will come a day when, when Jesus will close the door and his judgment will reign. And until that day, there's an opportunity for us still to get on the boat. There's an opportunity for us still. And, and if tomorrow is the day that you would be saved, wouldn't you rather Jesus wait and not deal with all of the wickedness and wretchedness on the earth today? Wouldn't you rather he wait until tomorrow? What if the day after that is someone you love your kids, your brother or sister, your neighbor, what if that's the day when tomorrow or the day after that they might become a Christian and experience salvation? Don't we want God to wait? What about for 50, God, or 45? What about 20 or 10? Let's not mistake God's patience for indifference. His heart is grieved by the sin that exists on the earth, but let's not mistake his patience for indifference. Let's praise him for that patience. Father God, we love you and we thank you for this message, this passage. God, thank you for reminding us of Noah 
for reminding us how, how people ignored the call to repent. God, would we not be like that? Would we repent and hear the call? God, thank you for reminding us of Lot and his wife. God, would we not long for and look for our sin and our past, but would we keep our eyes fixed on you and your kingdom? God, would you work and move in our hearts because, God, without you, we can't do this. But we repent and we turn to you, God, and, and you do the work in us to produce that righteousness you call us to. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to go to a time of communion. Uh, I'm going to ask the ushers to, to come forward and start passing this out. If you don't already have the, the bread and, and the wine or the juice, um, take this and just hold it. Uh, I, I just want to take a few moments and, and ponder, think about, consider your heart, consider um, God's grace and his mercy and his invitation to you. Let's do that now. Jesus told his disciples, when you get together, I want you to do something. I want you to take bread and break it with one another. I want you to, to have this bread and remember that it was my body that was broken to pay for your sin. I want you to get the, the juice, the, the, the wine. I want you to drink this and remember my blood that was spilled, the blood of the new covenant that I'm making with you. And so every week we get together and we take bread and we take juice and we remember Jesus. We remember his sacrifice. We remember that, that he is the king who dies in our place to welcome us into his kingdom. And so I want you to take the bread now and let's remember Jesus' body that was broken. And he allowed his blood to be spilled to pay for our sins. Blood that, that seals and marks the new covenant that he makes with us. That we are secure and safe. Let's do that now.